Let's join the worship center at Life Church, where the service is already in progress.
you help me to get mad and get revenge and get even on my enemies. He said, you prepare a table before me. It's a peaceful environment where you're satisfied, you're taken care of, you're not upset, disquieted, out of sorts, all in a lot. You're calm, cool, collected. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house and in his presence of the Lord forever. So relationships are like gardens. They have to be cultivated. So how are we going to cultivate our garden of relationships, our family relationships, our relationships with our children, and our relationships with one another? Well, when we first began, and I'm going to run over this real quick because we talked about this two Sundays ago. We looked at the first two steps of, of restoring a broken relationship. If you, if you have trouble in your marriage or, or friendships or with your children, um, your adult children even, how to restore these relationships. We talked about how we have to be committed to it with love, God's kind of love, not the, not the feeling love where we just go by how we feel and our goosebumps and whether we feel warm and fuzzy. Because you're not always going to feel warm and fuzzy about somebody. It's just not going to happen. Some days you're going to want to tear their head off. I mean, let's just be honest. Why? Because we are emotional beings, but we don't have to be driven and act out of our emotions. Emotions will come, but we don't have to react based on how we feel and the emotion that we're experiencing. We can react based on our faith and what the Word of God has said in our communication and our dealings with other people. So we've got to make sure that we're committed with God's agape love. The kind of love that it doesn't matter what happens, I'm in this for the long haul. With your marriages, it doesn't matter how much that person annoys you. You're in it for the long haul. It doesn't matter how many socks are on the floor. You're in it for the long haul. It doesn't matter how many times the car is parked in the wrong direction. You're in it for the long haul. It doesn't matter what comes your way. You're committed whether you feel warm and fuzzy or not. It doesn't matter with your family. You're committed to be their family. Now we need healthy boundaries in our relationships and boy am I reading a good Christian book on that right now. Talk to me later about it. I don't, I don't have time to get into that. But goodness it's a good book on our interactions with others and boundaries that we set and we need to maintain according to the word of God. But God wants us in healthy committed relationships with in healthy friendships with one another. Why? Because he created community. And he thinks it's pretty cool when we come together as the body of Christ. It's his design for us. His design for us was not to be isolated forever. His design for us was to be in a community of believers. And if we're going to be in this community with one another, we're going to have to know how to get along. Because we can say all day long, oh, can't we all just get along? But many times we have issues. And we need to learn to deal with them in a godly, Christ-like manner. So we talked about how we are committed with love. John 15, 12 through 14, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I love you. No greater love is anyone, no stronger affection, 
than to lay down and give up his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep doing the things I can get you to do. Study out from our 1 Corinthians 13 to learn what God's love looks like. It's not just the passage that we read at weddings. It lays out God's agape love for interacting with other people. It talks about how patient it is, how, how humble it is, and how it wants the endurance for the long haul. We talked about also how God wants us to humble ourselves, that we can't be prideful when we're dealing with ourselves, with God, with others. We can't be full of pride. God hasn't, hasn't called us to be puffed up and think we're so such a much, you know? Because at the end of the day, our righteousness, our way of doing things, our way of thinking and relating to the world is like filthy rags according to the scripture. God wants us to be humble. One of the greatest things you and I can do for our relationships is walk in humility. Not in, that doesn't mean embarrassment. That doesn't mean being a doormat. That doesn't mean let people walk all over you. It means, though, that you realize that this life is not really about us in the end. It is a thing to watch a kid finally realize that the world no longer revolves around them. You know? And some of us haven't come to that realization yet. We're still trying to work that thing out. But this world doesn't, we aren't the center of the universe. Everything revolves around God and his times and his seasons and the way he has this world lined up. Whether we want to or not, it does. The heathen and the holy. It all revolves around God's way of doing things, just the heathen don't want to recognize it yet. Because if you study out history and you study scripture, and that's one thing that we've been looking at with Josh and the creation teaching that every single thing that's ever happened in history, every significant event revolves around God's times and seasons. So this experience that we collectively together call life isn't here for us to be the center of it. There's something greater working in and through us. God working in and through this world to will and to do his will through us. And we've got to walk in humility and be quick to admit when we're wrong. You know, that's a lot of conflict that we find in our relationships. Not wanting to say, man, I missed that whole thing. Why? Because we think we're right. If you don't believe us, just ask us. We're quick to tell you. There may be one more, one, more than one way to kill a cat, but I know the best or skin a cat, or whatever you're going to do to a cat. Feed a cat, <laughs> We need to walk in humbleness. What's Proverbs 16, 18 say? Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we set ourselves up for destruction when we walk all puffed up, thinking we're so such a much. God wants us to walk in self-confidence, being confident in Christ, knowing where our confidence comes from. It's not in what we can do, but it's in what he can do. 
confidence in and through us. Maybe we shouldn't call it self-confidence. Maybe we should call it God-confidence. Walking in confidence that when we are lined up with him, that he is working in and through us, using the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct us. But not confident or puffed up in our way, in ourselves, thinking we are always right. Because we're not always right. As Proverbs tell us, there's a way that seems light unto man, but the end is the way of death. We don't have everything figured out. And when we realize that and we're quick to admit it, when we've done wrong, our relationships go a long way. There's a long way that I apologize, I was wrong, will keep you in your relationships with others. And we finished out that week talking about Micah 6 8. He has shown you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require, but to do justly, love kindness and mercy, and to humble yourself and walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants of us to walk humbly with Him, doing things His way. Now, when we're trying to work on our relationships with one another and, and live out our connections and our community with one another in a godly way, these are things that we cannot rush. We live in a society where everything's instant. If you want mashed potatoes, get you some hot water, dump it in the flake, stir. Now, for me, I add sour cream, butter, and milk, and, you know, soup them up a little, sometimes cream cheese. Anyway. But in our microwave drive-through society, we need to realize that God's ways can't be rushed. When we're trying to repair and restore and connect our relationships, we can't rush it. Trials come in our life, and this is a prime opportunity to cultivate our relationship with God because we are going to need some patience when we work to build connections with other people. We're going to need patience. And we're going to need to love God first. You can never really love another person unless you love God first. And then you don't hate yourself. You have love for yourself. You don't self-love. Then you can really start connecting with others. But we've got to get things right with God first. Because all of our relationships will be unhealthy unless that connection with God is healthy. Because if our connection with God is not a healthy relationship, then we won't have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know how to interact with others. If we don't love God, how can we say we love others? So, when we're cultivating our relationships, when we're working on problems that we walk through with other people, it's a prime opportunity to cultivate our relationship with God. Because when things go right with God, they fall in line in every other area. What Jesus tell us to seek first his kingdom, his way of doing things, and everything will be added. So, when we're working on our relationships, we need to take time to examine our relationship with the Lord and spend time daily in his word and ask for guidance and wisdom in how to go forward in our relationships with each other. And then trust his guidance and wisdom and direction to make it happen. You know, a while back, and my hubby would tell you that I still do this time. 
I would talk to my friends and share things I was going through, and I would ask for, you know, their thoughts, their advice, what, what they might do about the situation. And then they would tell me what they would do, and I wouldn't listen to them. Well, sometimes I didn't think that they were right. Sometimes I just wanted their opinion, and I already had my own idea. Don't we do that with God? God, give me wisdom. Give me knowledge and understanding to know how to walk your ways out on this earth. And then God pours down wisdom like rain. And then we think, well, you know, I'd rather just go off on because they're just irritating me. I'll go back and say sorry later. When God gives us wisdom, we need to trust that wisdom and direction and make it happen. When we read in his word what he says to do and not to do, we need to trust his word and his wisdom and walk in the direction to make it happen. Why? Because he put this thing together. You know? The stars haven't fell yet since God said, let there be. Well, okay, yes, we have shooting stars and meteors and all that stuff. But I'm saying the galaxy hasn't collapsed yet. You know, it's still working how he wants it to work and how he designed it to work. The water cycle is still going after all these years. The earth is still rotating. It didn't stop since he said, let there be. He designed and programmed all of this. And he designed us. Why wouldn't he know best about how to handle art relationships with others? Why wouldn't he know best on how to talk to your husband or wife? Why wouldn't he know best in how to talk to your son or daughter? Why wouldn't he know best in how to talk to your mom or dad or, or your, your children or your friends, your boss, your coworkers? Why wouldn't he know best in how to talk to your church people that you are in community with? Look at Psalm 27, 13 through 14. What would have become of me had I not believed that I would see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living? Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage. Let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. What would have been of us? What would have become of us if we had not waited? And walked in his way in his time. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my prayer. If you, Lord, should keep an account and treat us according to our sin, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, just what a man needs, that you may be reverently feared and worship. I wait for thee, Lord. I don't wait for people. I don't wait for my kids. I don't, I don't have any kids, but I'm just saying. I don't wait for y'all are like, oh, bombshell in the house of the Lord. I, I don't wait for my parents. I don't wait for my friends. I don't wait for my family. I wait for the Lord. I expectantly wait. So now he's going to tell us how to wait. I wait with expectation. And in his word do I hope. I don't put my trust and my hope 
in other people's words because people will fail us. That doesn't mean that we can't bond with people and place our trust with them, but we need to know that people will let us down. But the word of God endures. As much as I don't want to, there might be a time, there might have been a time, and there might be a time in the future where I'm not letting you down. It's not my intention. It's not what I desire to do. And if you were like me, it's not your intention or desire to let other people down. But sometimes it happens as we work through this messy life that we're living. And many times it happens when we get our priorities out of order with the way that God has told us to walk. I wait on Him. I put my trust and my hope in His blood. I am looking and waiting for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. I say more than the watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. God tells us the same thing today. Don't put your hope in people. Place your hope in the Lord. Your husband or your wife cannot be God to you. Your children cannot be God to you. Your friends and family cannot be God to you. They cannot fulfill every emotional and physical need that you have. As much as we love our spouses, they cannot do for you what God can do for you. And as much as they love you and they try to work through and on your relationship, they cannot fill you as God can. And if you are not full with God in His presence and His love in our life and His power in the Holy Spirit, if we're not full up with the Spirit, then it doesn't matter how much love your spouse, your friends, your family pour onto you, you will never be full. Because you're missing the main piece. Being fulfilled in God, in Christ. The hope is in Him. It doesn't matter how much people feel your love tank, your relationship tank. If our relationship with God is out of sorts, it won't work right. When our relationship with God is out of sorts, our marriages won't work right. Our relationships with our kids won't work right. Our relationships with our boss and our co-workers and our friends won't work right. When we get things out of line with the way God has assigned them. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's mercy and loving kindness, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. Look at Psalm 37, 34. Wait for and expect. Do we see a trend taking place? Wait for and expect the Lord and keep and heed his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land in the end when the wicked are cut off and you shall see it. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 24 through 28. The Lord is my portion and my share. The Lord is my portion, says my living being, my inner self. Therefore, I will hope in him and wait expectantly for him. In life, not only in our relationships, but in life, we've got to have good self-talk on the inside of us. Because what we say on the inside of us 
is going to have a lot to do with how we live on the outside of us and how we deal with others on the outside of us. If we have a negative talk within our head and our heart, then we will have negative results going forward in life. We have to watch how we talk to ourselves. The Lord is my portion or my share, says my living being, my inner self. We must have good self-talk, and our self-talk must be based on His Word. Not on what we think is good, but what we know His Word says. God wants us to line up with Him. And He wants our inner man, our inner self, to line up with Him. That's when our relationships with one another thrive. The Lord is good to those who wait hopefully and expectantly for Him. To those who seek Him and inquire of and require Him by right of necessity and on the authority of God's Word. It is good that one should hope in and wait quietly for the salvation, the safety, the ease of the Lord. Think about that. It is good that you have a waiting period. We might want things to be resolved now. But God said it is good that you wait. Why? It develops character in us. It develops godly character in us if we will allow it. It develops endurance. And it's good not only that you hope in and wait, but then you do it quietly. Not with complaining or criticizing or condemnation. But we wait in the peace of the Lord for the Lord. It is good that he should bear the yoke of divine disciplinary dealings in his youth. Let him sit on none complaining and keep silent in hope because God has laid this yoke upon him for his benefit. What a way to restructure our attitude. What if we looked at crises not as something that comes at us, but something that can work good in and through us? What if every trial or situation that came along Instead of saying, Lord, why is this happening to me? We go at it with an attitude of, oh, Lord, how can you work good through me in this? How can you work good in me through this? What a way to change our perspective and to change our attitude about the problems that we deal with. Because God laid this work upon him for his benefit. James 1.12 Blessed, happy is the man who is patient under trial. What? Patient under trial? Why are we talking about all this trial business? Because our communities take work. And we're going to bump into each other. And we're going to ruffle each other's feathers. And we're going to need to know godly strategies on how to deal 
when it happens. Because when our relationships get broken and messed up, then it builds walls and it separates people from the kingdom of God. How many times have you heard, well, I just will never go back there again because those people... Now, that's not the godly thing to do because we shouldn't be gossiping. But not everybody chooses godly things to do. Let us not be or give any room to say, what does Ephesians 4 tell us? Give no place to the devil. Let's shut the door on anything that the devil can use to divide the body of Christ. And what does he like to use? Our relationships. Because if he can get those all out of sorts, then he can get us out of sorts. And then our focus isn't on God anymore. It's on other people and what they have done to and the burden that we are bearing. Blessed is the man who is patient under trial, who stands up under temptation. For when he has stood the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. When we come to know Christ, there are warm fuzzies, and there is joy beyond measure, mm-hmm. and there is good. But we still need to know how to handle the temptations of life, because if we look at the life of Jesus, who's our pattern and our example, he went through some stuff. Oh, yes, he did. And we will, too. And we need to know how to navigate it in God's nature. Be quick. To ask for forgiveness and be quick to grant forgiveness. Just as it's important to humble ourselves and admit when we messed up, it's also important to ask for forgiveness. And when we ask for forgiveness, the forgiving party forfeits their right to bring it up again. We can choose to remember the transgressions no more just as the Lord did. And the same holds true for when we grant forgiveness to others. Put it behind us. Don't bring it up again. Forgiveness is a key component to restoration. The old joke that they say, well, she just keeps on bringing up everything I ever did wrong. And if she, you just bring up things 50 years ago. I know, I left those socks on the floor 50 years ago, and you're still dragging it out every time you're here. Today. And that's a trivial example. Because people, I'm sure, have done some things to significantly hurt them. Every single one of us has significant hurts and areas in our life and times that we've walked through where we feel like we've been wronged beyond measure. It's in those times that forgiveness is more important than ever. 
Because if we hang on to those significant hurts, they will drag us down the rest of our life. If we keep talking about those socks that were on the floor 50 years ago, it will constantly bring conflict into our relationships. If we keep hanging on to the disappointment and rejection that we felt when we were younger, We'll stay stuck. And that's not restoration. That's not God's design for us. That's not living that God approved. That's not refreshing of our life. Hanging on to negative interactions with other people. God doesn't want us hanging on to that junk. He doesn't want us harboring bitterness or resentment. He wants us to be quick to forgive. And don't drag it up either. What's that saying? What we buried in faith don't go deep in the earth. Put it behind you. Like Jesus said when he asked uh, a man to come and follow him and be his disciple, he said, well, let me go let me go bury my dead loved one. And that seems like a good thing. What did Jesus look at him and say? Let the dead bury the dead. Leave the dead mess of your past behind you. And go forward in God. Because if you want to make your relationship work, you can't hang on to that job. If you've had significant hurts in your marriage, you've got to let that mess go. Because you will never put the pieces back together hanging on to everything that person ever did to hurt you since you've known them. If you want to build a relationship with an adult child where there's been, there's been separation, you cannot hang on to every disrespectful thing that they've done or said to you. If you want to restore your relationships with your parents, your parents may have been crummy. I don't know. But you can't hang on to it and expect things to work out. You've got to let the past go and forgive. Even if you don't want to restore that relationship, if you and I don't let the past go, we will stay stuck anyway. Because it will affect every interaction forward with everybody we ever meet. How do you know that's true? How many times have you heard people say, well, I just have issues from when I was younger and they used to affect what I do now. It's the truth. <laughs> our interactions in our past will hold us back and keep us from moving forward if we get let it. But we can choose to forgive. We can choose to ask for forgiveness and we can choose to grant forgiveness. Isaiah 43, 25 through 26. I even I am he who blots out and cancels your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance and let us plead and argue together. Set forth your case that you may be justified. 
the first place we need to stop and ask forgiveness for him is God. And get our relationship with God right. Because like we said earlier, that filters down into every single interaction that we have to think about. Look at Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive people of their trespasses, their reckless and willful sin, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up the resentment. Woo! Everybody just take a deep breath. You can do this. For if you forgive people of the things that they have done to hurt you, to mess with you, to get you off course, not only forgiving them, but giving up the right to be resentful about it. Not harboring it in our heart. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, their reckless and their willful sin, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up resentment, neither will your Father yeah, you and trespasses. How many of you want God to forgive you? Yes. Yes. We want God to forgive us. This verse of scripture tells us that he, because if we don't let the mess go from other people, God says he can't forgive us. But God loves us. Yes, he does. He loves you more than you can ever fathom or imagine. He designed you with a purpose and an intention. He placed you in this time frame, in this year, for a specific purpose and a specific reason. And as much as God loves you and wants his best for you, and I, he has set this world up to work in a particular way. And he's told us, like we talked about with Commanders in 10, Deuteronomy 30, I've set before you life and death, the blessings and the cursings. Please choose life. Please choose life. And we have a choice to make. God does love us. The consequences of our own decisions does not negate the love of God for us. But we do have consequences for our decisions. I saw somebody post something funny last night on the Facebook. Well, it was funny to me. I'm sure it wasn't funny in, in the time of the situation. But they had gone to Sonic to get a hot fudge sundae, and one of their kids had been a misbehaving little mess. And the mom told the kid, if you don't behave, you don't get a hot fudge sundae when we go. And so she proceeded to take a selfie with the kid in the background going, you, mean, you could tell there was havoc in the, in the vehicle. <laughs> there are consequences for the choices that we make. Ice cream was available. All you had to do was obey. Listen to your mama. And you get the hot punch Sunday. Easy as that. God. Now, does that mean that that mama hated that kid? No. 
and taught that kid a valuable lesson in some hot porridge. Mm -hmm. There are consequences, right? So yes, God does love us. He cherishes us. We are his creation. He sets out his rules. Just like your mama set out her rules and your daddy. They set out the rules. And just because there were consequences didn't mean that there was no longer love. In most cases, in healthy families and relationships, there were consequences because there was love. And because they loved us too much to leave us as the little crazy heathen that we were turning to <laughs> God loves you. And he's laid out a plan for forgiveness. But there are things that we have to do. We have to forgive other people. Giving up the right to be resentful. That's really what God Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how many times may my brother sin against me and I have to forgive it and let it go? He was like, give me the limit. You know, is it after the fourth time that I can just really let him have it? You know, what's the limit to this forgiveness thing? Where's the line that I know how to get up to? And then after that, then I can just tell him what I think. I'm just paraphrasing Maybe seven times, Peter asks. Jesus answered to him and said, I tell you, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. What is he telling us? Listen, you just got to forgive, boy. You just got to forgive, Peter. Don't be trying to put limits on forgiveness. Freely forgive. James 5, 16. Confess one another your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, and your sins. And pray for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous of power available, dynamic, and it's working. Do we want our prayers to be tremendous and powerful? Get your relationships right. Did you know that our problems in our relationships will hinder our prayer life? In the New Testament, when it talks about marriage, it says that a husband's prayers are hindered because he doesn't have things right with his wife. Confess one another your faults. Where you have offended where you've messed up, where you've slipped. And then pray for one another that you can be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. Remember, it's all about walking in the Spirit, walking in the way that God designed us to live. Yeah. Then our prayers are effectual and have effect and are tremendous and dynamic in their when we're in right standing with God and we're in right standing with people. Proverbs 18, or not 18, 28, 13 through 14. 
He who covers his transgression will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will obtain mercy. Blessed is the man who reverently, worshipfully fears the Lord at all times, regardless of the circumstances. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. God doesn't want us to fall into mess. He wants us to worshipfully and reverently respect the Lord at all times and not try to cover things up, but be open and honest and truthful. Does the truth hurt sometimes? Oh, yeah. But when we get it out in the open and we deal with it in a godly manner, the truth set us free. The knowledge of the truth having the word in through us, applied to our life and working in us will make us free. We've got to remember rules for healthy communication as we get ready to finish up this morning. Moving forward in healthy relationships requires healthy communication. So for the next few minutes we're going to talk about how we talk. Ephesians 4.15, rather let your lives lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truth, dealing truth, living truth, enfolded in love. Let us grow up in every way, and in all things into him who is the head, even Christ the Son. So everything that we do should lovingly express truth. Everything. So the first thing in communication, be honest. Don't be shady. Don't tell half truths. But what if my friend asks me if, if I don't look good in something? Well, find a way to be honest. You know. And that's a trivial example. But be honest in all your dealings. If it feels like you have to be shady to say it, you probably shouldn't say it. If it puts a little check in you, like, oh, I feel a little bad for saying it, you probably should keep your mouth shut. Speak the truth in love. And remember, just because you shout it at somebody doesn't make it true. All the yelling and screaming in the world doesn't make what we're saying the truth. Ephesians 4.15 Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things. Now look at verse 26. When you're angry, don't sin. And don't let your wrath, your exasperation, your fury, your indignation last until the sun goes down. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil and quit giving him the opportunity. What does that mean? When you're angry, you mean I get to be angry and be a Christian? Well, it doesn't really work like that, like you're thinking. But yes, we do experience anger. And anger, in some cases, can drive us to good results. When we see injustice and we stand up for what is just and right in the Word of God, when that injustice makes us angry, that can be a good thing. Jesus got very upset when the money changers were making money in the temple, and he went in there with a whip. Now, that doesn't mean go on Amazon this week and order a whip and think, well, Jesus did it, so can I. Let me have that. No, but we will experience anger. 
But we don't have to let that anger have control over us. And we don't have to act on it. We can experience that emotion and still act in a godly manner. When you feel anger, don't let it push you to sin. Don't let it push you out of step with the Word of God. Don't ever let your wrath or your fear or your indignation last until the sun goes down. You know, my dad gave me advice, and I give people the same advice. Don't ever go to bed mad at somebody. Your wife, your kids, your mother, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, doesn't matter. Don't go to bed mad with unresolved mess. Make it right. But I didn't do anything wrong, or that it just did right. Quick to forgive. Quick to restore. Quick to let it go. Why? Because if we hang on to it, then it starts growing. I mean, just think about it. You say, oh, and this little bunny cute for a little pet in our house, and he gets you two little bunnies. And you don't know that you got a boy and a girl bunny. And the next thing you know, you got 50 bunnies. <laughs> Things multiply fast. And if we hang on to that mad and that feeling, it will multiply fast. And it will take root and get us off track. Keep current. Resolve issues today. And once they've been resolved, quit bringing them up. Ephesians 4, 29-32. Let no foul or polluting language or evil word or unwholesome, worthless talk ever come out of your mouth. If we went by that, that would talk a lot. But only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as fitting the need in the occasion, that it may be a blessing and give grace to those who hear it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't offend or vex him or sadden him, by whom you were sealed and marked and branded as God's own. For the day of redemption is coming. Let all bitterness and indignation and wrath and rage and bad tempers and resentment and anger and animosity and quarreling and brawling and contention and slander evil speaking, abusive, blasphemous language, be banished from you with malice and spitefulness and ill will and baseness of any kind and become useful and helpful and kind tenderhearted, understanding, lovinghearted, forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ if we would line our life up with these verses, it will cut out a lot of conflict in our relationships with others. Remember when you're communicating, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Say, for example, you don't feel like your schedule is working with your spouse. You feel like you're not seeing each other enough. Maybe your work schedules are different or something like that. 
you don't go up to the person and say, you hate me because you want to be going all the time. You don't want to be around here. And I'm stuck here doing all this all the time. And then you just go off and do whatever you want to. You're just a big mess. I don't, I don't even know why I even got with you in the first place. That doesn't fix one thing. In fact, it just amplifies the situation. You always do this. You never do that. Those words are killers in relationships. You always don't listen to me. Why do you always have to be like that? Those are killers in our relationships. Don't attack the person. Attack the problem. Instead of saying you never take out the trash, say be helpful if you take out the trash more often. Quit attacking people. God never called us to do that. Proverbs 18, several verses in that chapter. Haughtiness comes before disaster, but humility before honor. He who answers a matter before he hears the facts is folly and shame to him. So don't just go off on somebody until you have all facts in place. Something will happen, and I'll come tell my hubby about it and be like, well, we just need to do this or that or whatever. And he's like, well, we don't know the other half of what's going on. Just because we know one half doesn't mean that there's not another story to be had about don't answer people. Don't be listening to someone thinking about how you're going to get back at them to prove that you're right the next time you get a chance to open your mouth. Truly listen. Hear all the things. Why? Because we unintentionally harm people. We don't do it out of spite. Well, some people do. But I think all of us here are not going to go and intentionally hurt somebody. But we do bump up against each other. The mind of the prudent is ever getting knowledge, and the ear of the wise is ever seeking or craving for knowledge. He who states his cause first seems right until his rival comes and cross-examines him. A brother offended is harder to be won over than a strong city, and their contentions separate them like bars of the castle. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who indulge in it wait for death. And then remember to act, not to react. Don't react and respond in an ungodly way when we're in the middle of a discussion. Act. Take care to think about what's being presented to you and slowly respond instead of just bursting out the first thing that comes to your brain. James 1, 19 through 22. Understand this, my beloved brethren. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to take offense and get angry. For a man's anger does not promote righteousness with God. So get rid of all uncleanliness and rank it out throws of wickedness. And in a humble, gentle, moderate, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word of the Lord, which was planted and rooted in your heart. It contains power to save your soul. Be doers of the word. Obey the message, not just merely listeners to it. Betraying yourself. Proverbs 29, 20. And then you can study out the rest as you go out through your week. 
Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's no more hope for a self-confident fool than that man. Let's not be hasty to speak. Let's wait with patience before we respond. Let's work out things with God first so we can work out things with others. Fill your love tank from God, not from people. Don't seek put people, your your spouse, your kids, your boss, anything else in the place of God because they cannot feel you like God can feel And work in the restoration because God wants to refresh you. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear from you. You can write to us at Post Office Box 1004. That's P.O. Box 1004, Monticello, Arkansas, 71657. Or you can email us at lci.monticello at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also check out our website. It's www.getlife.co. That's www.getlife.co. There you can find Pastor Kelly and Pastor Josh's sermon notes, and you can see what's going on all through the week at Life Church. We would love to have you in one of our services with us. Join us Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for a worship service. Pastor Kelly ministers, and it's a great time in the presence of God. Or you can join us for Digging Deep on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Pastor Josh digs into the Word of God, connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament and giving us a fresh biblical perspective from God's point of view. We hope that you have a great week this week. Remember, go live to make God look good. God bless you till we're with you again.